Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 7. 1 Kings chapter 7. It's been a while because we uh, uh, had a couple of Christmas messages and then New Year's, and, and so it's been uh, almost a month since we've actually looked at 1 Kings. If you remember, we're looking at the life of Solomon. He is the third king of Israel. It was Saul, the first king, David, the second king. Solomon is the third king, and now we're seeing that God has raised him up for a purpose, and that is to basically build the temple. And we know that the building of the temple, the temple is the place where God would dwell among his people. It is a place of worship and sacrifice. Let me remind you of something. The temple is a building that the Jewish people built. That, that was the Solomon's temple. It was basically torn down, and then there was another temple built called Zerubbabel's temple, and then added onto it later was Herod's temple. That was destroyed as well. There's no temple right now. There'll be a temple during the tribulation. There'll be a temple during the kingdom. And so when we think about the temple, it's a place where God makes himself known uh, as as Solomon says, and we'll see it in the next week or two, Solomon says, heavens and earth cannot king God, more or less this building that I've built. So when we say the temple was the place where God would make himself known, he doesn't really dwell there. God is, is God, and he's everywhere. And so we saw uh, last time that we actually studied this, we saw the floor plan and the walls of the temple, and this time we're just going to look at the outer court and the furniture and some other things as well. It is the place of worship. It is God's dwelling place among the people. It is the way that God would make himself known. And so uh, just understand that the Jewish people originally had this little tabernacle. It was a tent that they carried around and had the, the kind of glory. The glory of God was with them, and they would tell them when to move and not to move. Now, Solomon is building a place. It's in Jerusalem. It's on what we call the Temple Mount even today. And that's where he's going to build this thing, and it's a beautiful temple, and it's, it's uh, unbelievable. And when we look this morning, morning at the passage. Now, let me just tell you something. This is a little bit unusual. Normally, we go verse by verse, passage by passage. This chapter has 51 verses in it, and we're going to do all 51, but not, we won't talk about every 51 today because he's going to give some dimensions and some things. I'm going to give you the high parts as we go through it. We want you to see it. Next week, Solomon actually dedicates the temple when we look at the passage next week in chapter 8, and we're going to go, of course, a lot more details there. This is the place of worship, the place God would dwell among his people the place God would make himself known. We're going to see two things this morning. One, the building of Solomon's palace and dimensions descriptions, what Solomon built for himself, and then the temple and the outer court and the furniture. We'll talk about that. And as we look through this, we're going to raise some things. First of all, we realize the temple was the place of worship and sacrifice for the Jewish people. We'll talk about more later. We all have gifts, talents, and abilities to be used in service of God. We'll talk about that because we're going to see a man in this passage that was gifted by God. Third, the temple was a foreshadow of Christ. And we're going to talk about it more, even in just a minute, how all of the things dealing with the temple were really a foreshadow of our Savior Christ. And then last but not least, just realize that we are the temple of God. And there's no temple now, and yet the Bible says, what, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. All of us who know Christ as Savior, the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. So we are the temple. We'll talk more about that later. Let's start with the whole issue of worship. When, when believers, we always talk about we gather this morning to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. Worship is often misunderstood. Some people think that worship is the music. I mean, they'll say, oh, you know, I really like the worship and I really like this. But the truth is worship is one aspect, uh, excuse me, music is one aspect of worship. When you think about uh, worship, some people think it's like a feeling. Oh, I had this feeling. Well, what is worship? Worship comes from an old English word, worth to show worth to something else. It comes from a Greek word, 
which literally means to bow down, to put your face on the ground. That's what the word means. So worship is really responding to God. It's, it's who he is and what he does as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study the Bible, all of those things. Those are acts of worship, and you hear me say that almost every Sunday. We've come to worship Jesus Christ, and in every aspect of this is an act of worship. Now, this morning, we're going to see Solomon as building this building as a place to worship God, that the nation of Israel could point to that place and to think about God and to worship. And he brings these articles to the temple and all those things, and we're going to look at this. Uh, This chapter gives a lot of information, and so uh, doing a little bit unusual, we're not going to look at all 51 verses. We're going to go through the chapter. I'll hit you the high part so that you can understand it, and then and we'll keep going. So let me remind you of where we are. King David is dead. Solomon has become the king. God has raised him up. He's going to be used by God to build the temple for God. God has made him a man of peace. David, uh, we always talk about this, David was a a warrior and Solomon is a man of peace. David was a simple man and Solomon is a a wealthy man. And so God has raised up Solomon to build the temple. And we saw, we've already seen over these last weeks, we've been talking about this, we've seen that there were many people involved. There were over 180,000 workers just from the nation of Israel. There were some other people that came, Hiram, king of Tyre, he had some of his people as well. And so we saw last time that we studied this, sort of a description of the temple and how it all fit together. We said money-wise, it, it, it was it, counting the gold. There were several rooms in the temple that were solid gold, that the walls were solid gold. We could estimate in today's money that it, the, the temple probably cost between seven, eight, and nine billion dollars. It was just unbelievable. And this is a kind of an overview of that temple. And out here, it was not on this slide, but out here was where they offered sacrifices. Then you'd come up to the temple. There were two pillars there. We're going to talk more about that. You could go in. The, the priest could go in, and there were lampstands along the side. Jesus is the light of the world. There were tables of showbread along the side. Jesus is the bread of life. There was an altar of incense in the very back. Jesus is the one who makes inter- session for us. There's the veil which separated the front room, the holy place from the back room. There was the Ark of the Covenant, which is really a picture of Jesus because it's wood and gold, which represents Jesus' humanity and his deity. And, and this is the place of the final sacrifice, uh, at the covering and the sacrifice for all sin. And so this is the temple. And so the, we saw the dimensions and we saw the background of it and all those kind of things. You got to remember the tabernacle was very similar, except it was like a tent and it was much smaller. And so this is the, the temple. Out front where the sacrifice is, Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever. And, and you see all of these things. So the, the, it's a really a picture and a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. So as we look this morning, we're going to see two things. Solomon's palace. I'm going to show you some, some, some drawings of what some people think it looked like. And then we're going to see uh, sort of the outline, the background, and the, the stuff about the temple. And, and it, we're just going to hit the high part. This is the chapter. 1 through 12 is Solomon's house. 13, 14 is the craftsman named Hiram. And then verses 15 through 51 is all of the articles and the things that he put in the temple. We'll see how it fits together. We'll go quickly through that just so you can get an idea. Now, I want you to understand, Solomon built two things. He built the temple and he built his own palace. We're going to find that in the Bible, it took, it took him 13 years to build the palace. It took him seven years to build the temple. And so the total building projects lasted 20 years. First Kings chapter 9, verse 10 tells us that. So look at chapter 7, verse 1, and we're going to go quickly through this. I just want you to see it. First, First Kings chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now Solomon was building his own house 
13 years, and he finished all his house. Now, that's a summary statement, and it says Solomon built his own palace and all of his things, and it took him 13 years. It goes on in verse 2 and says, he built the house of the forest of Lebanon, its length was 100 cubits, and then its width was 50 cubits, the height was 30 cubits, a cubit is about 18 inches. And so basically, that, that room, that building was about 150 by 75 by 45 high. And so that's what, what he talks about. Now, let me show you some things, and I'm going to help you to be able to see through this quickly without getting bogged down. He talks about a large room which is his palace with 45 pillars, a thing, a place called the Hall of Pillars, a place called the Hall of Judgment, his own living quarters, and his wife's living quarters. You remember, he married Pharaoh's daughter and brought her with him, and he built a palace for her. And so that's the things. So let's start, um, <clears throat> let's look, first of all, what we call the large room, which is dealing with his palace, and it says it had 45 pillars in it. Notice verse 3 says, it was paneled with cedar above the side chambers, which were on 40, which were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. It goes on and says they had these certain windows and doorways and all of these different things, and so that was a huge thing. And then, if you look at the next verse, it says, and he made a hall of pillars, this length was 50 cubits, width was 30 cubits, and a porch in front. So he built this thing called the Hall of Pillars. Let me show you this picture. This will give you an idea of what we're talking about. This is Jerusalem, all here. There's a place in Jerusalem called the Temple Mount. This is the Temple Mount. This is the temple that he's going to build. He's building, it's taken him seven years to do it. And that's the temple. They had a large open court. And then in a certain section of Jerusalem where David built all of, um, where David had built a lot of this stuff, it was called the city of David. And so Solomon built uh, a throne room with pillars in it, a house of the forest of Lebanon, his own palace, and his, the, the house of the, Pharaoh's daughter, that's his wife. And all of this, this is where he judged. It had all these pillars in there, and it had, we're going to see it later on, he had a throne made out of ivory covered over with gold. And beside the throne were two lions on each side, giant lions, and then the steps going down, and each of the steps going down had lions along the side of it. He, it was magnificent. Now, I, made, I talked about it in the first service, that Solomon was a man of wealth. David was an ordinary guy. David was a shepherd, and he didn't care about wealth or money. And Solomon, uh, David was a warrior, and Solomon was a politician, and Solomon was wealthy, and Solomon was called the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon made a lot of things wrong. Solomon did a lot of sin, especially toward the end of his life. It just tells you that wisdom does not mean you're going to obey God. You can be the wisest person who ever lived, Solomon, and he disobeyed God. And so this is what he built. And so he, he's, talking about the, he's talking about this room and this room right here, and then he built this big place called the House of the Forest of Lebanon. They put shields and everything all over there. He has it all. It was just really amazing. And uh, he built the Hall of Judgment. He built Solomon's quarters, and he built his wife's quarters. Let me read for you there in verse 7. He then made the Hall of the Throne of Judgment. That's the Throne of Judgment. Uh, the Hall of Judgment, it was paneled to the floor. His house where it was to, he was to live, the other court inward from the hall was of the same workmanship. He also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom Solomon had married. So I'm going to go back a little bit just to show you. He lists, whoops, uh, let me go backwards here. Okay, he lists, he doesn't talk about the temple here, but he says he built this building and this building. He doesn't really mention this building yet, 
and he built this building. So he's talking about all of these things here that he built. Now, he's going to go and start talking about this building in just a second. But this is what we're seeing. And, and so he built those things, the Hall of Judgment, Solomon's Quarters, and his wife's quarters. That's what he did. And this is where he's going to live. And, and I mean, it's really an amazing thing. He goes on and says that all of this was costly stone, and there are foundations and trees and courts, and he talks about all of that. From then, he then talks about a craftsman, a person that's going to come and do something. Read verse 13. Now, King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. Now, I'm going to stop there. If you've been studying with us in the study of Solomon and building the temple, as soon as I mentioned the name Hiram, now King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre, you would think Hiram was the king of Tyre, and he was the man that sold, basically sold Solomon all the trees and Solomon gave them food. This is not the same Hiram. This is a different person. Look at the next verse. He was a widow's son from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill for doing any work in bronze. So he came to King Solomon and performed all his work. So there was a king of, of Tyre called Hiram, and now that we meet this man named Hiram, his mother was Jewish, his father was, was from Tyre, which means a Gentile, and he was skilled in bronze. He could do anything. Notice it says that he was skilled in working in bronze, so he came to King Solomon to perform all his work. So this is this craftsman. Hiram was a worker in bronze. God had gifted this man to use him for the glory of God in building the temple. So think about that. God had, you know, and we know people that they can do things. I mean, they can draw things. They can make things. They can, and we look at something, we go, how did you do that? That is amazing. Well, this man had that ability. He was gifted by God, and he came, and Solomon said, I want you to make certain things for me for the temple, and he's going to do that. Now, I want you to think about something. God has gifted every one of us, every one of us in this room. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have believed in Christ for eternal life, you are a child of God, and God has given you at least one spiritual gift. By faith in Christ, we become his children. The Holy Spirit gives each of us spiritual gifts to serve him. So every one of you in this room who know Christ as Savior, that you believed in him for eternal life, you have at least one spiritual gift. You may have more than one spiritual gift, and that is to serve God. So here's the question. What are your gifts, and where are you serving? What are your gifts, and where are you serving? I find that throughout history that most believers are never taught about spiritual gifts. Most believers do not even know what spiritual gifts are. And if, if they even know what spiritual gifts are, most believers don't even know what their gifts are. And what, what, what happens really is when you realize how you're gifted by God, different spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4, give the list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. If you wanted to look at that, you can also go to our brand new website, and you can go under resources, and it actually has a spiritual gift inventory that you could answer some questions that would give you an idea of what your spiritual gift or gifts might be. You can also come to the office anytime. We'll talk with you, meet with you there, and help you think through that. So if you're wondering, what is, what is your gift? Uh, how can you serve? Now, here, here's the really thing. Until you're really serving with your spiritual gifts, you're, you're going to ultimately be frustrated. What happens is when you're gifted, and whatever gift is, it may be the gift of, of teaching, it may be the gift of health, it may be the gift of mercy, it may be leadership, it may be gift of giving, who knows what it is. Whatever. It is. When you're exercising that gift, you are fulfilled, and you actually say something like this, boy, I bet everybody wishes they had this gift. 
because you love it. You're getting to serve God in the way that he has gifted you. So it's really important. I hope and pray that all of us figure out what our gifts are and and serve God in that way. So what are your gifts and where are you serving? That's sort of the key. Now, from there, we see this guy named Hiram, and he comes to build things with bronze. And so we're going to see the first thing that he talks about is these pillars, these tall pillars. Watch what he says, verse 15. He fashioned the two pillars of bronze. 18 cubits was the height of one pillar, and a line of 12 cubits measured the circumference. He also made two capitals of molten bronze to sit on top of the pillars. Now, we'll talk more about that in a second. But he made these pillars. Oh, let me go back. Look at, they're 27 feet tall, 18 feet around, and they were out in front of the temple. Let me give you an idea. That's what, that's one draw, and one artist render of what it might be. Here's a, here's a different one, and this, these are the pillars right here that he's talking about, and, and they're huge, and he even names them. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. And then he put on top of those pillars capitals. Now, a long time ago, I remember the first time I ever studied, I didn't know what a capital was. The capital is the thing that goes on top of a pillar. Most, I mean, most of you probably all know that. I didn't know that. But he also he said, made two capitals of molten bronze to sit on the tops of the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits, that's seven and a half feet, and the height of the other was the same. And so he made these uh, capitals to go on top. Some people believe that's sort of what the capital looked like. It had pomegranates on it, had different things around it, had all these uh, stripes around it. I mean, it was just amazing. And it went on top of the pillar. And, and so it made, that, it made the whole thing about th- almost 35 feet tall. And, and so he, he put that on. If you look at verse 17, it says, there were networks and twisted threads of chain work. And then a little further down, it talks about there were pomegranates all around it and those things. And then verse 21, I want you to look at verse 21. He says, then he set up the pillars at the porch of the nave, and he set up the right pillar, and he named it Jason, and he set up the other pillar, and named it Boaz. And so he got these pillars, and he named them. One was Jachin, which means Jehovah established, or God is strengthened. And the other word is named Boaz, which means strength. And so what he's really saying is, as you get ready to go into that temple, there's God's strength there. There is God has established this, and this is his strength. And that's how we should think about life. How do you live the Christian life? You don't live it in your strength. You live in God's strength. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me, Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's the idea of this temple, and it's really amazing. And so if you notice uh, verse 21 again, he set the two pillars at the porch and the nave. He set up the right pillar, and he named it Jachin. He set up the left pillar, and he named it Boaz. And on top of the pillars was the lily design, so the work of the pillars were finished. So he put those up there. That's at, at, the, at the temple. Now he makes something else. Watch. This is verse, uh, verse 23. Now he made the sea of cast metal, 10 cubits from brim to brim, circular in form, and in its height was five cubits and 30 cubits in circumference. Now he made, it says a bath. What he made is a big pool. He made a big round thing that holds water, and he's going to make 12 oxen and, and set this big bowl on top of that oxen. That's what he's going to do. It's called the molten, uh, uh, let me go right there. It's called the molten sea, it, but it's big, it's a big thing. Here's what he made. This, the priest would go wash there. Now, let me tell you something. In the Old Testament, when they offered sacrifices, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, a priest would come out, he would take an animal, he would cut the throat, blood would go everywhere, he'd put it up on the altar. When he got through, he has blood all over him. He'd walk over to a laver, and he would wash and be clean because he had to be clean to serve God. Is a picture of fellowship. 
Well, this molten laver, this big thing right here was the place that the priests were supposed to go after they offered sacrifices, and they would go there. And if you notice um, a little further on down, it says in verse 25, it stood on 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, three facing east, and the sea was set on top of them, and all their rear parts were turned inward. So that, that's what it looked like. And that was for the priest to wash. Now, there, there, and let me just put this, three facing north, south, east, and west. Now, there was something else he made. If you notice the next verse, he says, verse 27 says, then he made 10 stands of bronze. You say, what in the world is that? The length of each stand was four cubits, and its width was four cubits, its height was three cubits. What he made is these lavers, these stands, and they looked like this, and they were on rollers, and they were places that had water in them, so the priest didn't necessarily have to go to the big one they could go to the little one and wash and be clean. And they made 10 of those, five on each side of the temple area. That's what he did. And, and notice it says he made 10 stands. And then in verse 30, he says, now each stand had four bronze wheels. And what he tells us is on each stand, there was a lion and an ox and a cherubim, cherub, which is an angel. They put them on all the way around on every one of these. So it's powerful. The line, of course, is the line of Judah, Jesus Christ. The ox is the servant, and the angel is the one protecting it all, and that's the, the bottom line. So he made 10 of those uh, that, that, uh, that's there. So uh, let me go back for that for a second. So he made that. Now, we're, all, we're almost, you know, you say, well, where are we going to ever finish this? Yeah, and he made all of this. And then it says, uh, verse 33, the workmanship of the wheels were like, work, like workmanship of, of a chariot. And they had axles and spokes and all of that. So he makes it all, and he puts it all together. And in verse 39, he says, then he set the stands, five on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house, and he cast the sea of metal on the right side of the house toward the south. And so he does all this. And then he tells us everything that he made. Notice, verse 40, now Hiram made the basins and the shovels and the bowls. So Hiram finished all the work which he performed for King Solomon. The two pillars, the two bowls, the capitals, skip on down, the 10 stands, verse 43, the 1C, the 12 oxen, that's verse 44, and verse 45, all the pails and the shovels and the bowls and everything. So he, he says he made all of this. So he made the two big pillars, the capitals that go on the top, the 10 stands, the 10 basins that go inside the stands, the big molten thing with the oxen, and then all these utilities. Uh, utensils, all of this stuff. This is what he made. So powerful, powerful stuff. This is an idea. Now, let me show you something. This is just a drawing or a, a model, but here's what we think is people would come and they'd come to there and the priest would take the animal, go up the steps to the altar, sacrifice the animal, blood would be shed, the animal would be sacrificed. It's a picture of Jesus Christ who is the final sacrifice for sin forever. They would come down, they would go over here to wash or any one of these little ones on both sides and to wash. It's a picture of cleansing and being in fellowship. Then they would go in, the priest could go into this room, and on down the side were five lampstands on one side and five lampstands on the other. Jesus is the light of the world. Also down the side were five tables of showbread. On the other side, five tables of showbread. Jesus is the bread of life. At the very end of the room, in front of a, t a big a t uh, uh, curtain, there was the uh, altar of incense. Jesus is the intercessor for us. 
And on the other side of the court curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. So all of this is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And so one of the reasons we go through this is we just want to see how it all fit together. And he did all this in the plain of Jordan, get it all ready, and then brought it in. And then look, if you look at verse 48, Solomon made all the furnitures in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table on which was the bread, the lampstands, five on the right side, five on the left, in the inner sanctuary, all of pure gold, and the flowers, and the lamps, and the tongs of gold. So I want to show you this. This is the altar of incense. This is what it looked like. And it was a picture of God's uh, in intercession for us, making prayer for us. There is the veil. On the other side of the veil is the Ark of the Covenant. It says that he made the table, the table of bread, ten tables. Now, this is what one table looked like. And on, in the tabernacle, they had one table with ten loaves of bread. In the temple, they had ten tables. We don't know if each table had ten, lo- uh, excuse me, twelve loaves of bread. We don't know if in the, tab- in the temple, every table had twelve loaves of bread, so it'd be... 10 times 12, or whether just each table had one thing. We just don't know. It didn't tell us, but that's what that looked like. And then he made the lampstands, and that's what they looked like. Best we can tell, had five on one side, five on the other, and then all fits together. So he's got it all put together. Look at verse 51. Then all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things dedicated by his father David, the silver and the gold and the utensils, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So he has completed, at this point, he's completed it. Now, when we look next week at chapter 8, he's going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is not there. It's been in another place. And he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, which is a picture of Jesus Christ, and he's going to pray, and we're going to see all of those things. So next time, we see the dedication of the building and the glory of the Lord come into his temple. Now, we would say, so what's the big deal? Why do we, why do we even study this? Well, we study it because uh, we're studying the life of Solomon, and this is in his life, and it's important that we know these things. But I want to remind you that this temple was built, and it was a place that God would dwell among his people. It was destroyed in 585 B.C., Another one was built by Zerubbabel when they came back 70 years later. And then it was added on to by a man, uh, at the, at, at, by King Herod at the time of Jesus, and that was destroyed in A.D. 70. There's not been a temple since then. Those were three. We're the temple today. One day in the, in the tribulation time period, there will be a temple, and the Antichrist will put his idol up in that temple. And then finally, in the kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ found in Revelation chapter 20, Jesus Christ will have a temple that he will be in, and then in the eternal state there'll be no temple because he himself will be the temple and dwell among us. So it's important to see how all this fits together. So we've seen the big three things, the description of Solomon's place, Hiram, and we've seen a little bit of the temple. So let me quickly give you this, okay? God desires us, this is application, God desires us to know him and to worship him. He allowed them to spend all that, time and money to put together a building that he would dwell among his people. He would make his presence known so the nation of Israel could come to God. And we want to worship him as well. And we talked about this. We worship our God as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we obey the Bible. And all of those are acts of worship. And so when we come on a Sunday morning, you're coming to worship Jesus Christ. That's why you're coming to worship him as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study the Bible. The second thing is let's just use our gifts and talents and abilities for God's service. So you have spiritual gifts. 
You have natural talents and abilities. Are you using those? So what are your gifts? And where can you serve in the body? My prayer would be that every one of you in this room would come to understand what you're, how you're gifted, spiritually gifted, so that you can serve God in a way that is so exciting. Listen, you know my gift is teaching. I get, the, the, I get the gift of teaching. I love to teach. I teach eight times a week. If you said, would you like to teach? I'd say, oh, of course I'd like to teach, right? And so when I get to teach, it's the greatest thing in the world for me. But if you put me somewhere else doing something else, I'm not going to be that happy. And so you have gifts too. And so you find your gifts and you plug in and then you'll just be just as happy as me when I'm teaching, right? And you may have the gift of teaching. You may have the gift of health. You may have the gift of, 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 of leadership. You may have the gift of mercy. You may have the gift of giving. All those gifts are there. So look at that. So where can you serve? The, uh, Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, it's 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. And then First Peter says, as you've received the gift, use it in serving. It's so powerful, and I hope and pray that we do that. The third thing, just remember, we're the temple of God. We are. The first one was destroyed in 585. The second one, basically, second and third kind of went together and was destroyed in AD 70. We're the temple of God now. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and uh, we, we want to live in such a way that we bring glory to God. Last but not least, realize the temple is a picture of Jesus Christ. And think about it. He's the bread of life. The lampstand, he's the light of the world. The altar of incense, he's the intercessor. I didn't even put up there, but that final, the, the altar out front is the final sacrifice for sin forever. And then he's the ark, he's the God-man, he's the wood and the deity, he's the savior of the world, he's the final sacrifice for sin, he is the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He is the savior of the world. And every time we think of the temple, you should think of Jesus Christ because it's a picture of him.